Amen. You guys can have a seat if you want to. For what it's worth, this was not this wet when we came and checked it out at this time. So that was uh, our oversight. It's the joy of the in-between, us not having our facility yet and not really having anywhere to meet. So this is where we are today. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you for coming. We are privileged and, and, and honored at the fact that we still are able to meet wherever we want, really, which is fantastic. It's, it's amazing to be able to do so. I wanted to give you a little update because it's pretty exciting. Even with the city adding in extra costs and the additional building costs, as of last week, God has provided all the money to become fully funded for our tenant improvements. So yes, praise God for that, right? So we still, it's, it's incredible. In nine months, we were able to come up with all of that money and then the overages, which is just such an amazing thing. We still have the three-year commitments coming in, which we're hoping to cover the extra lease costs that were going on, and those have been coming in, which is awesome. But us getting this new space is a huge, huge blessing. But why did God let us have this space? Not this one, but the space that we're going to be in in two weeks, Lord willing, with our certificate of occupancy, which you guys can be praying for. It's not because we didn't want to have to deal with wet grass. It's not because he felt like we should not have to set up and tear down anymore after doing it for seven years and eight months. Those aren't the reasons why he did this. See, we believe that he did this because... He still wants to bring glory to his son, Jesus Christ, through us. And he believes in doing that, keeping us alive and in this downtown space is allowing us to do it. And so we are super, super excited about this. We believe that God is doing something for his glory through us that he decided we must go on. So this is why he's having us dig in deeper roots downtown. This is why we exist. So to make sure that we were all on the same page moving forward and not just excited about not having to set up or tear down or having wet bottoms from grass that you're sitting on, we wanted to spend the next few weeks talking about what we began originally feeling like the Lord commanded us to do as a church. It's not something that we've changed over the years, although we have themes like this year we're asking you to, to strive towards sacrificial obedience. The main purpose of why we exist as a church hasn't changed, and it's not going to change. We exist to love God and to love others, and that's, that's the main purpose of what we're doing. So the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that because there's many of you that have been here since the very, very beginning and there's a lot of you that haven't been. And there's been incredible people that have been a part of this and have had, had either moved on for other reasons or whatever reason it may be. And it's incredible to see what God has done through the people of his church for his glory in this place. But one of the things we were talking about as leaders is we actually haven't actually spent any time talking about us or what we did. In fact, the last time I did even a message about what I'm going to do today was seven years ago, six months. So it's been a while since we've talked about this very specific thing. So we're going to actually talk about our name. And that may seem weird. It's not because we want Revolution 22's name to, to go on in fame. Our, our whole purpose is that God's name would be the only one that gets the glory. And that's what we're doing. But our name was very specific because we wanted it to achieve one thing. And that was to remind every single person that came, this is why you're here. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to spend a time talking about revolution and then loving God and loving others. And that's what we're going to do. And then we'll jump back into Corinthians in the facility near the end of July. So first things first, we gotta, we got to define a couple words. So if you guys don't know this, our, our church name is Revolution 22, not Rev 22. That was something that someone else decided to start calling it, and it just stuck. Revolution is, is a word that many of us have, but I want to define it. If you're revolutionary, you're radically new or innovative, outside or beyond established procedures or principles. The word revolution, though, is to overthrow or a repudiation of a regime or political system by the governed. Revolution is not a rebellion. A rebellion is, is an uprising against a governing force that fails. A revolution is an uprising against a governing force that succeeds. See, we all have this thing inside of us, no matter what we believe or what we want, we, we, we like to be a part of something that is revolutionary. 
It's not as much fun to just kind of do the ho-hum drum kind of thing. It's fun to be a part of something that is, that is, is profound and, and doing something that's incredible. And we believe, and the reason why we even have this name is that, that there's a re- revolution that's already taken place that we're just supposed to take part in. And we're going to talk about that today. And then we're going to talk about how we're going to take part in that specifically through the next few weeks. Because, see, here's the thing. About every revolution that's ever happened, abolish slavery or, or women's rights, all the amazing revolutions that have happened over the years— they still can get overturned. As horrible and as horrific as it sounds, some kind of change could happen where a revolution that existed could be revolted against and something could overthrow it. Many of us in the safety of of America don't think that that's possible, but it's very, very possible. But the revolution that we're taking part of is actually going to stay true and stand as a revolution until Jesus comes back and re-revolutionizes what he already began. Many of us don't think about the fact that we are a part of a revolution already, and not the church. Again, this is not about our church name. We're a part of something. See, when, when God created this earth, he created it perfectly, beautifully. There was no sin. There was no sickness. There was no illness. Everything was done perfectly. In the garden, it was exactly the way it was intended to be. There was no problems. There was no struggles. There was no fights. There were no quarrels. Every single one of us today recognize that that's not the way it is. In fact, many of us are feeling the weight of the brokenness and the depravity of our own sinfulness and our own struggles. And we're feeling the the weight of what is the way it's not supposed to be. Those of us that have surrendered our lives to Jesus, have given ourselves to him, recognize that we aren't of this world and that the world is actually in opposition to us. Not because of who we are, but because of who we serve. Many of us wake up in the morning desiring that revolution. We desire for everything to go right again. When, When God created everything was perfect. There was no struggles, no ugliness, nothing embarrassing. Everything was perfect. And we don't know exactly how long it took, but it didn't take long for that to get messed up. And so what I want to do, this story, but I'm going to read from a a different set of scripture, a different different version of scripture. My reason for doing this is because so many, so often of us, we hear this story, we just kind of let our brains go to where it's been. Oh, we already heard this and we check out. And so I'm going to read it from a different version today. And I want to read this because it shows us the reason why we need a revolution. The reason why we need to be a part of something that has is, that is succeeded at overthrowing the powers and the principalities of this world. And so if you would, just, just humor me and listen to this as if it's the first time you've heard it. Listen to this as if it's something that you had never heard before. Let it sink in. I'm going to read. It's from Genesis 3, and I'm going to read out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Adam and Eve lived happily together in their beautiful new home. And everything was perfect for a while. Until the day when everything went wrong. God God had a horrible enemy. His name was Satan. Satan had once been the most beautiful angel, but he didn't want to be just an angel. He wanted to be God. He grew proud and evil and full of hate. And God had to send him out of heaven. Satan was seething with anger and looking for a way to hurt God. He wanted to stop God's plan, stop his love story right there. So he disguised himself as a snake and waited in the garden. Now God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on that tree, God told them. Because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me, and then death and sadness and tears will come. You see, God knew if they ate the fruit, they would think they didn't need him. They would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him, and life without him wouldn't be life at all. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. 
The snake's words hissed into into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too, and a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. And it wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare. A dove flew from Adam's hand. A deer darted in the thicket. It was as if they were frightened by something. A chill was in the air. Something strange was happening. They had always been naked, but now they felt naked and wrong. And they didn't want anyone to see them, so they hid. Later that evening, as God was taking his walk, he called to them, children. Usually Adam and Eve loved to hear God's voice and would run to him, but this time they ran away from him and hid in the shadows. Where are you? God called. Hiding, Adam said. We're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? God asked them. Adam said, Eve made me do it. What have you done? God asked. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken the one rule. They had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him, and now he knew everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was all supposed to last forever. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it it would never leave. God's children would be always running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain, not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You'll have to leave the garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling up with tears. This is no longer your home. It's not the place for you anymore. But before they left the garden, God made them clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would all be over, and that would, be, would have been the end. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day, he would get his children back. One day, he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day, he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God, lo- God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him, lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve, it will not always be so. I will come to your rescue. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would, one day, God himself would come. When we hear this story, this is the, the world that we know. This is the world that we understand. This is the world that we, we experience. This is the world that, that you and I live in. And we recognize that through the scriptures, after this story, there's, there's no way to right the wrong. They do a sacrificial system through all of the Old Testament where, where animals are sacrificed for the sins to, to make payment for the ways in which man has wronged God. But you would go and, and sacrifice a dove, and on your way home, someone else's horse would cut you off, and you'd get upset, and you'd sin again. And it was this perpetual cycle over and over and over again where you felt like no matter what you did, no matter how far you went, you were always going to miss it. You were always going to fall short. The need for a revolution began in this fall. Many, many years later, Jesus sets up on scene. The, the revolution is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's that he alone is the one that can save us. It's the, the death 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's him paying for our sins in place of us, receiving the wrath that we deserve for every sinful choice that we make. Surrendering our lives to him is the revolution that we are part of. See, because here's the thing, no one, and I mean no one, and nothing will ever revolt or uprise against this gospel message. They can try all day long, but nothing will overturn the good news of Jesus Christ. Nothing will ever succeed at, at overturning his powerful way of redeeming his children. And you and I, those that, that are his children, our role is just to take part in the very thing that he began. To live and to breathe and to speak the gospel into every single person that we know and come in contact with. To share the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. To say it simple, the gospel is, is, is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God fully accomplishes salvation for us. Rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him. And then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. That was the promise he made in the garden many years ago. And the way it comes about is through Jesus Christ, not only in his death and resurrection, but his coming back a second time. So yours and my job is to just live submitted to him. That everything we do would point to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 14 through 18 says this. For all who, have been, who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading, back, leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Replacing the fear of a slave towards, the, towards a master to the endearment as a son and a child of God. That's the revolution. That's the part that people want to be. They want to they know that they're no longer in a, a master-slave relationship, but in a fatherly-children relationship. One that brings about joy and laughter. We've been heirs. We've been adopted. In Romans' time, this wasn't some way of inferior birth of son. They gave him, this gave every single right to the family, to this person, to, to the, the inheritance of everything that they have. This was not some secondary thing. This was a very valuable thing. Adoption isn't a secondary person. It's a bringing someone into your family as a true child. They have all rights to the estates. John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you receive Christ, then you are adopted. And we live in a world of people that need to be adopted. We live in a world of people that are experiencing pain and brokenness without the hope of Jesus Christ. There's a few things that happen in this section, Psalms, in this inheritance. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, then as heirs of the Lord's, we inherit the earth and everything in it. This is a promise for children. The second thing we gain is, is God himself as our final and ultimate portion and reward. Psalm 73, 25 through 26 says, Whom I have in heaven but you. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing of an earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We get God. We get glorified bodies in this way. The revolution isn't just some kind of hope that comes today. It's, it's the hope of recognizing that, that beyond this, we actually have a glorified body. We don't have to deal with the brokenness and the struggles and the, and the weaknesses of our flesh. And if we stopped here, this scripture of, of Romans 8, we'd, we'd have a, a fairly warped view of scripture in Jesus Christ. Because he says something that I didn't read yet, but it goes all the way through. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellows heirs with Christ. And he goes on, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
Because this, this, this world, is, it's a lie to tell people that they're not going to suffer. We don't belong here. As, as children of God, we are aliens to this place. We've been adopted into a kingdom that is God's, that is not fully recognized here today. So there will be suffering. There will be struggles. But we can tell people that there's, there's, there's hope beyond the current suffering. That the suffering today will bring about a righteousness, a perseverance, a, 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 an inheritance that's beyond the value of gold. We take part in that. We aren't just partakers of this revolution that Jesus began and that he will finish. We actually have an active role. And this is where I think most of us get it wrong, is that we forget that we actually have an active role. We don't, we don't just take it and just say, okay, good, finish it. He, he gives us commands. In Matthew 5, he tells us that we are to be light to this dark world. That means that we are to live in a way that, that we shine the lightness of God, the goodness of him to those around us. We don't live our lives in a way where we're darkness. We live our lives as light. It's not a suggestion. It's a command for us to live this way. Acts 2 paints a picture of a church that as a community that people were followers of Christ and the way they treated each other was absolutely unexplainable. And every single church wants to be an Acts 2 church. But to do that, it takes humility and it takes faithfulness and it takes surrender to the Spirit of God and living in a way that is countercultural to this world, caring for the needs of others far beyond the needs for just yourself. As a church, as a way in which we take part in this revolution, we have to live with each other that is completely countercultural to the way that this world would expect. We have to live with each other in a way that, that would bring about a, an amazement as people looked in, not at how good we are or what we do, but how much we care for one another and how, we, how well we treat one another. We desire to be that community, and I think that we can say that God commands us to be that community. I think how revolutionary it would be for a community today to live like they did in Acts, for people to be fully surrendered to one another, to, to serve the needs of one another, to not, to not go through the motions, but to truly care for one another the way that God lays out for us in scriptures. Matthew 28 tells us that we are to make disciples, to teach, to train, and to send, all while never losing sight of our first love, Jesus Christ, to just show up to church, to just, to just get a building that we're excited about because we just want to be comfortable is not it's not the end game. It's not the goal. It's to be active in this. Every single one of us is commissioned to be light, to live in community, and to make disciples. It's not a, just for the professionals or just for someone that's older to do this. This is a command of every single child of God. And this isn't just, a, this isn't just something that's a suggestion. This is what he's actually asking of us as his children to do. His children that have all inheritance, that have gained every aspect of God through the work of Jesus Christ. This is our role. This is our part, and we as a church don't want to do anything else but take part in that. We don't want to lose sight of that. We don't want to get comfortable. We don't want to get complacent. We don't want to lose sight of the fact that we actually have a role, a purpose, a job, not to just work, not to just exist, not to create our own little safe haven at home, although those are all fine. We want to take part in seeing people be revolutionized by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to see people that have, that have already experienced the revolution of Jesus Christ to go deeper and further and more intimate with the Lord in, in not only in knowledge but in action. We want to live revolutionary, not for our name, not for our church's glory, but for the name of Jesus Christ alone. And so as we pause seven years, eight months later that the Lord has allowed us to exist and he's still giving us a reason to exist, we want to make sure that we pause here and we never lose sight of our purpose. We never lose sight of the fact that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we do that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, not our own strength. We do that through the good news of Jesus and his spirit's strength in us.
this is what we're going to do as a church. It's not going to, we're not going to change courses. We're not going to try and come up with a new fancy way to do it. We're just going to continue to take part in the revolution that Jesus began. And we're going to continue to do it obediently and faithfully by the work of the Spirit inside of us. This is why we exist. This is why, dare I say, you're all sitting on white grass. Not because you wanted to have the sun in your face and a wet bottom on a park and uncomfortable. No, because I, I believe that those of you here that have the Spirit of God, you believe that you were made for more than just attendance. You were made for more than just showing up. You were made to, to bring about this gospel that has transformed your life to those that don't have it yet. And so while we still have a breath and while we still have a place to gather, we will continue to make much of Jesus Christ alone, and that's what we're going to do. In the next week's coming, we're going to talk about how we do that and how we take part in that. So let me pray and the band will come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to gather. It is not, it, may we never lose sight of our gratitude and thankfulness for what you have done to make us exist as a church. This is not my work. This is not the elders' work. This is not any one person's work. This is the work of Jesus Christ. And God, for the ways that maybe we've gotten in the way of that or we've, we've misconstrued that or we've taken pace or places of, of standing in, in our glory, God, please forgive us for that. But as we move forward, and not just into a facility, God, but as we move forward as a church, as we move forward to faithfulness in surrendering to you, God, I pray that just more glory be brought to your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that the, the, the rough edges on us that aren't saturated in your scripture or your spirit, God, would be cut away. I pray, God, that we would no longer be lazy or complacent. We would be faithfully living out tirelessly by your spirit's strength, your gospel work, in whatever ways you have commanded us to do it, in within the gifting that you've given us to do it, God. God, I pray for more people's lives to be revolutionized. I pray that we would celebrate the change that happens through the Spirit of God, through Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, I pray that our families, our friends, all the names that were written on the framing of that facility, every single one of those names would come and declare you as Lord, not in the end when you come back, but today, next week, next in the months to come. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you for your work, and we thank you for what you've done for us as a church. And we, we don't take lightly the fact that you have provided a ridiculous amount of resources for us to stay in downtown Boise. We understand that we are in an area that is hostile to you and your name. And we stand firm in faithfulness, knowing that you are God and that you are good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.